Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We are blessed in this church of how many people do get along with each other. So my message that I'll be unpacking here in a few moments is not a message to correct many of you. It's more to affirm all of you. But it's good for us to hear this. Because as I went through this, it reminded me again of how to get along with one another, beginning with my wife, my family, my special groups I'm with, and of course, one another. So I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to you through this message, and maybe that you'll take a little bit of ownership of how to get along with each other. Well, I don't want you to think this is the message that I kind of came up with this outline, and I'm going to try to jam Scripture into this outline. Actually, it's the other way around. It's a portion of Scripture that I'm extrapolating from that portion of Scripture, truths for us today. But those truths were actually written 2,000 years ago. And those truths are actually going to impact a group of people. It wasn't just historical people that are dead long ago. It was a real-life situation. So come with me into my time machine, and let's kind of rewind it a little bit and go with me to those days in the city of Rome when the church was only a few decades old. And of course, the gospel was given and people of all different walks of life, all different ages, and of course, a lot of different belief systems were now coming into the church. And of course, they all rallied around the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, without works. And Paul wrote 11 chapters speaking, wrapping it all around that message of Romans 4 and 5 that salvation was by faith. But that didn't mean that they all got on the same page in all areas of Christian thinking and Christian growth. In fact, those people were really learning it as they were going along through their life and also trying to figure out how does this affect the way I used to believe on other issues and they didn't know what God had to tell them. And then there were those that were probably saved a long time in the church. Remember, it was about three decades old by then. And now you might be wondering, um, some of those had the answer. Some of those knew what scripture had to say about such things as Christian liberty. How much can we really do now that we're saved and nothing we do to get into salvation and there's nothing we can do to get out of salvation? That means we're free to do anything. And some of them kind of live that freedom that way. Others felt, well, you get in by faith and you stay in there because God saves you. But there's a lot of stuff we really got to do to show God how much we love them. And now they move away from scripture through their ignorance or wrong teaching. And they added a lot of man's principles. We'll call that legalism on it. And so as Paul was writing to these group of believers there, he knew that he had all different kinds of people with all different kinds of isms and spasms, we'll call them, in the church. And so I think this is quite timely because churches go through a time of growth and a lot of new things and they kind of plateau out where the sheep kind of settle and they eat and then some new things happen and they begin to move around a little bit and grow some more. And so what happens then you attract a lot of different people. Kind of reminded me in a little bit of a humorous way that Jesus is the light of the world. He is inside of us. We're to be the light of the world. And here's the humorous part. Have you ever been at night and you're sitting outside and you decide in the darkness of night that you wanted to throw a light on, so you threw your back porch light on. And after a few minutes, what gathers around your back porch light? A bunch of bugs, doesn't it? So often we say that light attracts bugs. And so when we're the light of the world, that's what we want to do. We want to attract people to come in. But when they come in, they bring in their own opinions, their own viewpoints, their own values, their own mores, we'll say. And that's where the rub comes in. And so Paul, I'm sure, remembering what the Lord said that was so much a core value of Christianity, which is we show the world how much 
we love the Lord by how much we love one another. And so now he's going to unpack that by beginning in chapter 14 by simply saying one truth and then the rest of the chapter kind of explains why and what and how. And that one truth is simply this, that we're to look at fellow believers in Christ and accept one another. And there's no qualifier. Accept them if they're Republican or accept them if they're a Democrat or accept them if they believe in this or believe in that. As long as they've known Christ as Savior, we're to accept them. But now the big question is, is why and how and what does that look like? So if you don't mind, because we've had two weeks of a lot of really cool stuff happening, we might have forgotten a little bit of that other message and I need to tie them together so you have truth that's in balance. So why don't you take out that little outline? I've given you the verses. I'm not going to re-preach the message, but I do want to give you some reasons why we need to accept one another. And that's because God accepts us. In the very same verse, it talks about that. That because God accepts me with all my isms and spasms, etc., that we need to do one another. I think I've shared this story at one time or another. I trusted Christ when I was 16 and I had a little car. My car, I, I paid for it. My very first car at 16, oddly enough, saved a lot of money. It wasn't a race car. It was a Ford Falcon. It had three speeds, slow, stop, and reverse. And I remember as I got that car and I jazzed it all up, mostly with paint because I had no money to put a big engine in it. I also didn't have a radio in the car, and I wanted to have a radio, so I finally got a sound system back in those days, 1966. I put a little radio in this thing. I was saved. I just got saved a few weeks ago, maybe a month before then. And, of course, Carol was uh, becoming very special to me since she led me to Christ. We were not boyfriend and girlfriend. She wouldn't permit that or allow that yet. But what happened was I remember loading up my car with kids to bring them to youth group. I was so excited about the sound system that I put in my car that I wanted to have everybody at the youth meeting. There was like two or three hundred kids. So afterwards, I said, come on out. I've got to show you something. And these kids all gathered around my Ford Falcon. I rolled down the windows as best as I could. And I cranked up the volume on my radio. And it played the god-awful rock music you can ever imagine. The Beach Boys then. All right, so what you happen, I'm playing all this unsavory, ungodly kind of music. Now, I'm exaggerating, of course, so relax. And I remember Carol came out, and I wanted her to be so proud of what I put in my car, and so proud that I would bring my friends to see all of this, and at the same time listen to the tunes that we were playing. And you know, my, my wife now, girlfriend then, I guess, she said, you know, I really am proud of you that you put that in yourself. I didn't know you knew how to install all of that. I didn't know either. And she said, I'm so glad that you invited these people around to be able to see what you did and to enjoy that moment with you. And uh, that music sounds real crystal clear and I can hear all of that. But never once did she affirm what I was listening to. And what she was really showing to me at that time was that, you know, Stan, I accept you just the way you are. But I also love you enough to not leave you there. And so throughout time, then she very quickly then began to slip me some very neat, youthful, contemporary, but yet godly Christian music that I can now put in my tune box in the car. Now you see how she did that? She accepted me where I was, knowing that I would grow in my music appreciation and my worship experience in my life. But she wasn't going to leave me there. And she saw me through the eyes of God. You know, God didn't have me have an accident. He didn't have my tune box stolen he just gave me the time to grow through all of this in my life and that's what we do with one another here's number two found in verse three we do it because the lord supports each of us whether we're very strong in our faith and we can love everybody or we're very weak and we begin to judge everybody 
The Lord loves us. He supports us, that verse says. It means he gets under us so we can stand with him and on him. Meaning again, not only does he accept us where we are, but we can trust him that he will then help us to grow into the likeness of Christ and we'll begin to see how much freedom we have. Watch this. And then with the freedom we have, how do we use that freedom for the glory of God and building up others? So the Lord stands with us, but the Lord also stands with those who are still young and ignorant and don't have the understanding of their freedom in Christ. I like that. God loves us just the way we are. Number three, because the Lord is sovereign over each of us. And I like that part. That means that we don't really answer to someone else. We answer to the Lord. Every one of us is going to have to answer to the Lord for how we look at other people, how we judge them, how we affirm them, how we criticize them, and really how much we accept them and then giving God the time to grow them. Each one of us has to stand before the Lord. So if you will, go in your mind again, and I want you to think about someone that is doing something that you perhaps think is wrong. Now, we're not going to really define, is it wrong or is it right? Because I know for you, you might already think that's wrong what she's doing or he's doing. But for just a moment, I want you to understand this. That person will stand before the Lord. The Lord is the Lord of that person's life. That person now is going to have to answer to the Lord for what they're doing. Just as you are for either criticizing them or entering into whatever they're doing. So remember, we all stand alone before God at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our life. And that's really what it's saying here. Each one of us stands before him as sovereign. Which quickly bleeds us into the fourth one. And that is that he is the final judge. God has not given me the gavel in order to judge someone else or the electric chair to judge someone else. Now, I can be discerning. That's different than judging. The whole book of Proverbs is about discerning right and wrong, good and evil, um, laziness and diligence, wise and foolish. So we can judge, but he's never given us the right or even the responsibility to be condemnatory to other people. Why? Because not only do we answer before the Lord, but we're also going to be judged by the Lord. And I certainly don't want to step in the place of the Lord judging someone else. I have enough sin in my own life that I have to answer to the Lord for. Do you agree with that? Do you have that too? Well, now we talked a little bit about why we need to accept one another. But I need to move into something else because I want to talk a little bit more about our liberty that we have in Christ. Because some of you might be thinking, okay, does that mean I have to condone everything? Is accepting one another the same as approving one another? How do I put that together? Well, some of you might know that if I had a sport and I had more time doing it, I enjoy surfing. Now, surfing is, you need three things in surfing. You need waves, water waves. You need a surfboard to make it work. And other than the human, the surfer, there's something else you need. And here it is. It's called balance. I really don't think I'm much of a surfer if I wear the surfer get-up and I have a surfboard and I'm at the beach and I'm even sitting on my surfboard. In order for me to surf, I need to have balance. Well, in order for us to grow in our walk with the Lord, it's the very same thing. We need to have balance. We need to understand how things fit together. And remember, the master of imbalance, the master of imbalance is Satan. Think about that for a moment. He always wants you to get on the wrong side of issues. If you're on the outside of faith, he wants you then to work, 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 do, 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 do a lot of good deeds, even religious deeds, in order to get into heaven. See, that's the wrong balance. Jesus says it's by faith alone and not by works. Then Satan's the imbalance on the other side, and he says, now that you've trusted Christ as Savior, go out and live as you please. It really doesn't matter. It does matter how we live. 
It matters how we live before the Lord to give honor to his name. It matters how we live before others to encourage them. It matters how we live because what it even does for ourselves. Now, it will not get us kicked out of heaven, but it certainly will create problems. And so Satan is a a master of imbalance. But I think he doesn't just operate in the salvation realm. He also operates in the realm of how we treat one another and how we live with one another. And how God says, you have liberty. I want you to have liberty. And there are many verses that talk about that we have liberty in Christ, freedom in Christ, freedom to be who we'd like to be, freedom to be able to go and come and do, freedom to be able to see what Scripture is all about, perhaps. But he says, don't use that freedom, though, for a cloak of maliciousness or sin. It's like we all have freedom to have guns, but don't use your gun as a personal weapon to destroy someone else or even yourself. And so we have the freedom. It's what we do with the freedom. And that's what I want to talk about today until we basically run out of time. I want to give you a quote from John MacArthur. I picked up this quote on the idea of Christian liberty and it really spoke to me. May I read it to you? Listen to what he has to say about this. He says, our Christian liberty is vertical. That means it's up and down before the Lord. But the exercise of that liberty is horizontal because it is seen by and affects others to rightly understand and use our freedom in Christ brings great satisfaction there are some Christians that they get saved by faith alone and they know they don't do anything to stay saved but yet they encumber themselves with a lot of laws on them that they think that this is what pleases God and all of a sudden that can be very disheartening very discouraging You feel this guilt because you can never often live up to your own expectations. Or they're all over the map as you keep changing those. And we call that legalism. And that's not found in scripture. But once you understand how truly free you are in Christ, it gives you a real sense of satisfaction and joy that God loves you just the way you are. And he's giving you this freedom to use it for his glory and the benefit of others. Well, he goes on to say, MacArthur says this. He says, but that satisfaction is multiplied When we willingly surrender the exercise of our liberty. For what? For the sake of other believers. So in other words, all this liberty I have, I now not use it as a toy to play with. I don't use it as a weapon to do war with others with. I use it as a tool to build up others. And then MacArthur goes on and he finishes it with this. More importantly, it greatly pleases our Lord and promotes harmony in his church. And that's in the context of knowing the freedom you have in Christ, and then using it properly. So I got thinking about that, my liberty in Christ, what it should not be used for. Now it's not in your notes, but I'm going to go very quickly through these because I want you to see from Scripture that if I have this liberty, what shouldn't I use this liberty for? Well, here's number one. To justify any evil or excuse that I might have to exercise that liberty. In other words, I have this thing in my life, physically it's not good for me, It's not good for others. Spiritually, it's kind of messing up relationships. But by golly, I've got my freedom and I'm going to use it. And the Bible says don't do that. Don't use that freedom you have in Christ to go ahead and justify whatever thing you're doing that's bringing harm to the body body of Christ, Christians, and the name of Christ. Secondly, we shouldn't use our liberty to cause us personal destruction or bring us into bondage. There are some people that say, I have freedom to do certain liberties in my life. And once they do that, technically, those liberties that we have, we can do that. But by actually partaking in this, it begins to affect our mind because it affects the chemicals that are inside of us. 
it affects what we see and that begins to distort how we think in our life. And pretty soon how we feel, our body is now deteriorating. Our mind begins to wander and go off on wrong choices and decisions that we make. And all of that then brings about our own, and my point is, our own personal destruction. So the liberty that we have should not bring our personal destruction. If anything, the liberty that we have should also build us up too. And here's the third one. And that is our liberty should not be used to the point that it retards our spiritual growth. Sometimes we hang on to our liberty so much that we worship our liberty rather than worshiping the person from which our liberty comes, which is Christ. So don't let our liberty retard our intimacy with the Lord because we have it. Sometimes we have so much of this liberty, it'll drag us away from our time in the Word, our time fellowshipping with one another, the kind of things that we do that now crowd out the worship time that we should have with the Lord. So that's kind of negative. So let me give you some positives, how our liberty should be used. It should be used to further the gospel. Because I have this freedom I have, let's go ahead and use that. Let me use an illustration. I shared this with you before. My dad was unsaved. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he liked his drinking. And I remember the day that I was uh, to meet with him to perhaps discuss the gospel with him. In fact, he set it up. He said, the next time I see you, which was then, I want you to tell me about Christ. I remember that I was teaching personal evangelism at one of the largest Bible colleges in the country. And as I remember that, I remember that I need to reach my dad for Christ, but I'm a teacher, I'm dean of men, I have a position, I have influence. And so now I go into the restaurant, and as I walk in, like many restaurants are today, you see the restaurant, and they have a little room that's kind of like a bar, we'll call it. And then uh, in that, they have their, uh, you know, their drinks and all that. And I'm looking at my dad at the bar. I come right up, I'll never forget this. I'm on this uh, laminated wood floor, and I see the threshold into this carpeted bar that's out in front of me, and I see my dad about where some of you are right now. And I'm thinking, my dad can't see me. He can't hear in one ear, really. So he won't hear me if I shout because there's a lot of noise. I've got to get in there. But if I walk in there and, and people see me do this as a faculty member, they don't know my dad. They don't know why I'm in there. And they might just assume that I too drink and it's, you know, after hours and it's Miller time, you know, kind of thing for Dr. Pons. So as I thought for that moment, I'm so grateful for the Lord because at that moment he reminded me that my liberty that I have is this. I can go into that bar. I can have an engaged conversation with someone. But now I'm going to use that for the furtherance of the gospel. And I believe God honored that because he knew in my heart that, yeah, this isn't a place I'm going to go have Miller time with. It's not a place I'm going to socialize on my own. I had a purpose for being there. My purpose was to engage my dad in some measure with the gospel. So when I came up to my dad, the very first, well, the second phrase that came out of my dad's mouth was this. The first one was, hey, Stan, good to see you. And he hugged me. The second was, you don't feel comfortable in here, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Why don't I just take my beer, and we'll go over here and eat in the restaurant. And it was that night that my dad came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I want you to know that we have freedom in Christ, and we can kind of push that envelope for some people. But the purpose of it always is to engage someone to help them to grow and perhaps even evangelize them. Here's another reason that we have this special freedom in Christ. And that is to further ourselves in the fullness of God. I have the freedom to do different things and to say no to other things so I can then grow in the Lord. Further to grow other believers in Christ. My freedom gives me the opportunity to be where you are to grow them. Most recently I had a gentleman that's in our sanctuary this morning. And he said, Stan, um, there's a... 
there's a couple of homosexuals that are having a party. They're having a dinner. And they've invited me to that dinner. Should I go? Now, as I would try to run this through the grid of Scripture, I'm reminded of the fact that those people are in, in bondage. I love them dearly, so if you are in that situation, know that I'm not speaking down to you. I'm just trying to help you and understand that there is a lot of good traits in you other than maybe that one area that you have right now in your life. But still, that's an area that needs to be addressed for your own well-being and societies. So he said, what do I do? Do I go to that dinner or not? And I said, well, according to Scripture, it talks about fellowshipping and ministering. Yes, there is that. I've got to have a connection with you and we have to have some light moments. But on the other hand, if your whole purpose is to merely fellowship with them, the Lord says not to. But if you're going for the purpose of engaging them again to help them in some measure to grow, then you go with that purpose. But make sure that you accomplish that purpose while you're there. So that your purpose is much bigger than palsy-walsy. It's because I love you and I want you to know the truth. And when you go to that meeting, it's not so much to point your bony finger of wrath at them, but to wrap your arms around them in the words that you say to help them to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Help them to know Christ. Here's another reason um, that we are to use our, our liberty properly, and that is to further the glory of the Lord. I pray that everything that I do, and I'm still working on these areas of my freedom I have in Christ, that I garner that freedom to use it to ask myself, in use of my freedom, to use, in use of my liberty, is God going to get glory out of this? Now, I know God can get glory out of the gutter. I get that. The wrath of man even brings glory to the Lord. But that's not what he prefers, that everybody is wrathful and everybody lives a gutter lifestyle. But he says that, I want you to do it to the glory of God. So now all of a sudden, again, reminding all of us that our liberty that we have in Christ is not a a toy to play with. Ooh, I can do anything I want. Nor is it a weapon to now judge everybody else with. But it's, is this actually building up the body of Christ? In other words, is this liberty that I have that necessary That's going to hinder someone else. Now with that in mind, I want to give you six principles as we carry on this passage of Scripture. and We should be done in a reasonable amount of time. So if you will, why don't you get your notes out? Because I want to talk about exercising that liberty. I hate to do this, but because I'm more of a positive speaker, but the passage so much lends itself to the don't, don't, don't. So these are going to be one of the few times I'm going to give you six don'ts. Now some of you that are reacting to that, well, Christianity is one that's always taking away your fun. Well, I attribute that, or I, I, I um, compare that to stoplights, stop signs, speed limits. I, my life is so busy, and I am so goal-oriented in my life. I, I don't have time to drive slow. I don't have time for red lights and stop signs in my life. I just have one speed on my car, fast or stop. That's it. Do you know people like that? Are you married to someone like that? Don't nod your head, Carol. But um, are you married to someone like that? But on the reality of it all, I'm glad we have stop and go lights, red and green lights. I'm so glad we have stop signs. And truly, I am so glad that we have what we call those speed limits. Well, in Scripture, there's a lot of go, 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 go in all the world from the Lord. But then there are some times that the Lord says, but don't, but don't, but don't, stop, don't. And that's not to take away our fun. But it's to really enhance the fun that God wants us to have, the joy that he has in Scripture for us. If I give you these six, you can rewrite them into a positive, but in a sense, there's things we better careful that we don't do. 
so that we can really enjoy that intimacy with the Lord. So let's look at these six if you don't mind. Number one, don't deliberately cause your brother to stumble. Now stumble is kind of simple. That means they take on something that uh, they shouldn't do and so their Christian life begins to wobble. They begin to stumble. They begin to fall. So it says don't do something that's going to cause your brother or sister in Christ, not just physical brother. Now those that are Christians, your brother or sister in Christ, to begin to wobble in their walk with the Lord. So let's look at it here. It says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Doesn't mean you can't be discerning. We've already spoke to that issue. Yes, you're going to discern right from wrong, good and evil, good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. This word, though, is the word condemn. Let us not condemn one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. In other words, as he's on his journey to spiritual life development, as he's walking toward God and godliness as a Christian, don't put something in his life that, however reason, even though you have the freedom to do it, that's going to hinder him in some measure on that walk with the Lord. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.